In session three, I was personally challenged to go back and look at those six practices for developing integrity in my life. Now in this last session, we're gonna look at what happens when we fail to live a life of integrity and what God can do also to bring about restoration. So far, we have talked about three key biblical principles regarding a life of integrity. We've talked about the fact that a life of integrity is a life that is devoted to Christ's likeness. We have talked about a life of integrity is a life that uh, has, gives the opportunity to bring honor uh, to Jesus Christ. Uh, we've also talked, uh, third, that a life of integrity is a daily conscious commitment to obedience. As we now come to the last of our four modules on biblical integrity, um, I'm going to talk about a subject that really is uh, a sad subject to talk about, but a necessary subject to talk about. Because the reality is, is that not every pastor and church leader is living a life of integrity. Uh, we are all humans. We are all sinners who have been saved by grace. And, but the fact of the matter is, is that there are oftentimes pastors and church leaders, more often than we would even care to, to admit, who are not living lives of integrity. So what happens if a pastor or a church leader fails morally? In this last module, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about the cost of failing morally. And I also want to talk about the steps for restoration when a pastor or a church leader fails morally. Before I get into that, um, I want to share something that I think is very important, that when we talk about somebody failing morally, we're not just talking about sexual immorality. There are many other ways in which one's integrity can be seriously damaged because of the choices they made. I have pastor friends who um, have uh, fallen morally because of the mismanagement of, of finances, um, who have gotten involved in, in addictive practices, who have been dishonest, or who have chosen to abuse the power that they have been given, um, or who have um, chosen to, to teach false teachings and to take the Word of God that they have been entrusted with and to, and to teach false doctrine. So there are, those are just a few of some of the other ways in which a, a life of integrity can be seriously damaged and one's testimony can be ruined if one gets involved in that. I mentioned in the third module about uh, paying close attention and thinking about and being reminded of the damage that can be caused as a result of the consequences of, of moral uh, failure. And I want to share four of them with you. The first is this, is that it uh, seriously damages God's name and reputation. If I choose to claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but then I choose to be disobedient to God, I am damaging his reputation. And the second thing is that I am ruining my personal uh, testimony. And as a result of that, um, People's trust in me is ruined. For me to be saying I'm living one way when in reality I'm living another way, when people find out of the, that I'm, I'm really not living the way I say I'm living, why should they trust me? Why should they trust anything I would have to say to them from that point on? The third cost of, of failing morally 
is the impact on my relationships. My relationship with the Lord, my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my family, my relationship with uh, the people in my church, my relationship with just the people in, in public who know me, who I've been trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. All those relationships have been seriously damaged when I choose to live an immoral lifestyle. And then fourth, God's kingdom work is tarnished. God's kingdom work is threatened. People will say, why do I want to get, get, to get involved in that church if that's the way that pastor lives or those church leaders live? Why? And, and for unbelievers to say, why do I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ when, when the pastor of the church can't even live the life that he's, that he's preaching about? So there are serious costs that come with choosing to live a life that is not uh, one that is honoring to the Lord. But here's the good news. One of the beautiful messages of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is the message of restoration. When Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for us and then was raised from the dead, he offered us the promise of eternal life, but more importantly than that, he promised us the forgiveness of sin and a restored relationship with Almighty God. And that's one of the beautiful things about um, God's redemption through Jesus Christ is that we can be restored. As a sinner separated from God because of our sin, we can be restored to a right relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And then also, when we have sinned as a believer, we can be restored through confession of that sin. And so that's a huge truth that we need to hang on to. And I want to share with you some important principles regarding this whole issue of restoration. The first principle is this, is that as the church deals with issues of discipline, deals with issues where there is a pastor, a church leader, or a member who is uh, living a sinful life that needs to be dealt with, that the goal needs to always be restoration. The goal always needs to be restoration. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, we read these words, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. One of the things that has always saddened my heart are the times when churches in trying to deal with church discipline issues have just simply kicked the person out of the church and said, if you're, that's the way you're going to live, just, then, then leave. Rather than trying to come alongside that individual and help restore them to a right relationship with Christ and a right relationship with the body of Christ. So that's where it has to start, with understanding church discipline needs to have the goal of restoration. Second, the first step in the process of restoration must be a demonstration of genuine repentance, brokenness, and spiritual grief. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, we read these words, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief leads to death. You see the difference? I've had situations where someone has come to me and we found out about an immoral lifestyle and, 
and they have seemed to repent, but then six months later, all of a sudden, they're right back doing what they were doing before. And so when the church is dealing with issues of, of restoration, it is absolutely essential that there is genuine repentance and not just simply someone feeling sorry because they got caught. And so um, I offer this as a word of encouragement, but also a word of caution. That as you're working with the person that wants to be restored, that you spend sufficient time in helping them demonstrate that there is genuine repentance, there's a broken heart, and that there is a genuine desire to want to get their life right before the Lord. The third principle that I want to share with you is this. There needs to be a distinction between restoration to fellowship in the body of Christ and restoration to ministry. When a pastor or a church leader fails morally, there needs to be a distinction and understanding that the first goal and step is, is restoration to fellowship, fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with the body of Christ. And that then along the way, uh, there can be perhaps consideration of a restoration to ministry. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, Paul, and we already addressed this once, Paul is talking to Timothy about the qualifications for elders, for pastors, church leaders. And he says that an overseer must be above reproach. I mention that because when one's testimony has been lost, when trust has been lost, when there's no longer confidence in that person in terms of how they are living their, their lives, it's going to take time for that above reproach to be uh, reestablished. And the reality is, is that sometimes it never really is. And so when we talk about restoration, we need to understand the difference between restoration of fellowship and restoration to ministry. And that restoration to fellowship is always going to be the first thing that you focus on. The fourth principle is this. The body of Christ must be the agency, and I'll explain that, must be the agency used to establish and to carry out the process of restoration. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus was talking about uh, the church and about church discipline and about confronting one who is living in sin and restoring them to a right relationship. And he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And what Jesus wanted his disciples to understand is that there is a process that needs to take place in restoration. And you begin by going to that person individually. You then if they are not willing to receive it at that level, bring two or three more so that you can talk with them and see if you can help them to understand their need to seek forgiveness and repentance. And if that doesn't work, then you bring it to the church. But the whole point is, is that the church needs to be the agency for helping one to be restored to a right relationship. Too often I have seen where, where someone is, is caught in a moral failing and they uh, maybe will ask for forgiveness, but it's not long before they've left the church. 
and they've gone somewhere else. In the case of pastors and church leaders, sometimes they will they'll leave the town that they are serving in and they will go someplace else where, where people don't know them and they will then try to uh, reestablish a, a ministry in another place. That is not genuine repentance and that's not the, taking the right steps in order to uh, seek restoration. When one falls morally, one needs to make themselves accountable to those that know them, know the situation, and allow them to help them be restored fully. And so the church must be the agency that God uses to help a, uh, a fallen pastor or a fallen church leader to be restored to fellowship and then possibly somewhere along the way to be restored to ministry as well. The fifth step in the process of restoration is that restoration to fellowship must take place before restoration to ministry can be considered. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, we read these words, I am not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt of all of you more than it hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. In that passage, Paul seems to be referring to a church discipline issue that he addresses in 1 Corinthians. And that while church discipline had been administered, somewhere along the line, the individual who had sought repentance and restoration has not felt like the church has been uh, accepting of him. And he's struggling, struggling to the point of considering even just walking away from the body of Christ there in Corinth. And so Paul is encouraging uh, the believers that they need to be willing to forgive. They need to be willing to, to comfort. And, and, and again, as I have been involved in ministry over these many years, uh, the sad thing is that sometimes people who genuinely repented of their sin and, and sought restoration never really felt like they were fully restored to fellowship and just really struggled with their relationship uh, in the church. And it shouldn't be that way. When there is genuine repentance, there needs to be genuine restoration as well. The last thing I share with you is this. The process of restoration requires that sufficient time be given for genuine renewal of one's life to be demonstrated. In James chapter 3 and verse 1, James records these words, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's two things that I think that, are, that come out of that, that, that verse. The first is this that when God calls us to be pastors and church leaders, when he calls us to proclaim his truth, uh, we are going to be held to a stricter standard. When we stand before God, he's going to say, what did you do with the, the tools that I gave you? Uh, and what did you do with the, the flock of people that I entrusted to you? So we are going to be held to a stricter standard. But that also then means that here on earth, when we are given that responsibility and we violate that responsibility, violate that privilege by uh, choosing to, to, to be disobedient to the Word of God, 
that's, we're going to be held to a higher standard as well, which means that when it comes to restoration, restoration to fellowship is one thing. Restoration to ministry is a whole other thing. And there have been times when I've seen pastors who have gone through the process of restoration and been patient and willing to take the time to reestablish a life that, that demonstrated being above reproach and were able to be restored to a ministry. But I've also seen others that have not. And so I never want to rush into a process of restoring to ministry. It's always important to begin by restoring to fellowship and then along the way, if possible, to be restored to ministry. In this last module, let me remind you again of the key thought, and the key thought is this. A life of integrity can be lost, but a life of in integrity can be restored. And so as we bring these modules to a close, there are a couple of final questions that I ask you, particularly as it relates to the issue of restoration. The first is this, have you ever had to deal with someone who has fallen morally? What were the issues? Without mentioning names, if you're talking with one another, what were some of the issues that led to uh, the choices that person made? And then the second question is this, was there an attempt made to actually establish and bring about restoration? Or was the person just simply disciplined, punished, and then let go? These are important questions because a life of integrity is a, is a life that, uh, where we want to demonstrate Christ-likeness. And one of the beautiful things about Christ-likeness is that he is always ready to offer us forgiveness when we bring our sins to him and repent. 